Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces. I hope you are all doing well. I've come up with a bit of a plan for myself of late. I finally feel like the mojo is coming back uh, and I'm back out exercising, not just because I have to, but because I want to, uh, which has been a fantastic uh, change for me here, just feeling really invigorated and motivated and ready to uh, tackle the world uh, again. Uh, I feel like the last seven or eight months has just more so been about surviving the world, uh, if you could call it that. Uh, but anyway, I've come up with this different kind of plan. And what I want to do is be near the ocean every single day. So wh- whatever that entails, uh, either riding along the beach, we've got a great um it's basically owned by cyclists on the weekend. It's called Beach Road. It's very famous here in Melbourne. So I'll either be riding along the beach uh, or going for a stand-up paddleboard with Henry and Frankie. We just bought Frankie a, a life vest. A few people have actually asked me questions about that as well. So we're going to put it to the test and I'll fill you in on how that goes, ho- ho- hopefully well. <laughs> um, and Henry is the master of dogs on stand-up paddleboards as well. Uh, And then finally, if I'm not either cycling or supping, I will be driving to the beach and going for a run along the many paths along the beach. I just feel like that's going to give me uh, a lot of energy. Um, But my question to you is what – what kind of things do you do to motivate yourself if you're in a little bit of a rut? Uh, Because it's it's hard sometimes when you're not fully invested in something like, for example, training for a race – Uh, So what keeps you motivated during those times when you do feel like you're struggling a little bit? Um, Hit me up with some ideas uh, and I might take some of them on board. Uh, Now let's get to this episode of the Wits Up podcast. I had the pleasure of chatting with Sika Henry, who is currently on a mission to become the first black woman professional triathlete. Uh, And I'm just going to go straight into this. Uh, She's an incredible woman. Uh, doing some pretty incredible things, and I hope you enjoy our chat. All righty, I'm very excited uh, for this chat uh, with the the very lovely, the very ambitious, uh, the very talented Seeker Henry. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Now I feel a little bit guilty because we kind of uh, we put you on the spot because we we put a shout out as to who. Uh, who our listeners would like to hear from, and someone mentioned you. So we we retweeted or re- reposted that on Instagram and kind of didn't give you a choice. You, you had to say yes, right? <laughs> yeah, you tagged me in it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to say no to that? Now, honestly, <laughs> I honestly, I was flattered. I was like, oh, that's so cool that, you know, you you put it out there, like who, who should be a guest on the show and the fact that somebody just brought my name up. And I, I saw that you recently had Chrissy Wellington on there, so I'm like, well, Chrissy Wellington to me? I don't know about that. But if the audience wants that, then here I am. <laughs> I love it. No pressure. Chrissy Wellington's a nobody. You know, there's there's no pressure into a, yeah, uh, get as many listeners as she did. Zero pressure. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I imagine it's pretty cool to know. Um, I actually can't remember where that uh, listener, you know, is from. But you know, we've got a, quite a big audience here in Australia because that's where I'm based. But for you, it's got to feel pretty good to know um, and have proof that you've reached an audience in all corners of the globe. 
Oh yeah, it's still surreal to me. Um, mm. Whenever, even you know, you guys requesting or putting it out there. I mean, websites that I've been following, and I've been you know following your uh, online platform for years and listening to interviews from other athletes, especially when I was new to the sport and I was still trying to figure mm -hmm. it out and you know put names and times and all that together, like just really learning the sport. So to now be asked to be on these podcasts I mean it's pretty cool and well I imagine uh and we were discussing this offline you get asked to do a lot a lot of uh interviews but especially right now a lot of podcasts because everybody is podcasting anyone who can find a microphone and a computer can podcast right yes exactly I mean in some ways it's great because we are you know with COVID and everything else we're kind of stuck working from home and everything so it's like okay I can play things in the background and you know if I go out for a run I can listen to different stuff or those really long indoor bike rides um but yeah I mean for me personally because I've done so many in a short span of time I feel like I am saying this like telling the same story over and over again so I you know we talked about this right before recording like I've really had to kind of limit and filter how many I agree to it really has to feel like a you know a new conversation something that I'm something that I'm bringing that's different than I've already said before yeah, and that's going to be my goal to uh, to get something different out of you. Um, that's what this one is all about. So I like a challenge. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, and you also even said this uh, before we hit record, which I'm now kicking myself because I should have just hit record as soon as we tuned in. <laughs> but um, you 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 alluded to the fact that you struggle to say no. Um, but you're learning to try and say no, right? Yeah, um, I think I'm kind of a people pleaser. I've always kind of been <laughs> like that, like the child that always says yes to everything that their parents tell them to do. And um, I have a hard time saying no, I don't want to offend people. I'm, I'm you know, even mm. if I'm just responding in an email, I read it over 20 times before I send the response just to make sure I haven't offended anybody. So yeah, yeah it is hard for me to say no. And, I, and a part of me does want to say yes to everything because I'm like, oh, well, what if this one thing that I do can reach, you know, somebody who it could have a great influence on them. So you think about these possibilities, but it gets exhausting and I do work a full-time corporate job. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, luckily people like you are awesome about saying, when would you like to record? And for me, it's like, okay, well, Friday after work at 5 PM, I can do this. But um, yeah, it, it's just hard to fit everything in your, in my schedule because I am working, I am training mm -hmm. at, I would say an elite level. Um, so it, it, that alone is exhausting. And then, um, yeah, so I've had to really just kind of take a step back and think um, about not be totally selfish, but I do have to think about, okay, well, what benefits do I get out of this? Um, mm. How large is the platform? Um, like how much of a reach will this have? And, you know, I mean, it's great to support people who are new to doing podcasts and stuff, but it's like, all right, well, if you're only going to get 10 listens, like, is that really <laughs> worth an hour of my time when I'm already exhausted today? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you said this beforehand, uh, you, I guess, lean more towards being a bit more of an introverted person. So when you're constantly giving yourself to other people, mm -hmm. that's, that's 10 times more exhausting than, say, someone like me who – I could talk all day and, you know, I, that's that's what drives my uh, energy. But with you, it, it can take a lot away from your um, energy. 
Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Well. And, uh, even last year, um, after my crash and like coming back and doing races, like 70.3 Augusta and then going to Kona and I did get a lot of, uh, met you know uh requests to do things and my coach was like you should not be saying <laughs> yes to anything the week of the race like that is draining you might not realize that it is but you really need to you know focus on yourself so when for so that is a kind of a promise that i make to myself before a big race or something i limit how many things that i agree to do yeah, fair enough. Have you ever reached out to any other um, pro athletes to get their thoughts and, um, y- you know, um, advice on dealing with with media? Oh, definitely. Yeah, okay. I. That's what. That's a huge question that I do ask them. I'm like do you get a lot of requests and how do you, and I know they do because they have like 20 bazillion more followers than me on, you know, I mean, I'm really not that huge on social media at all, but um, when they have such a large platform and so many people reaching out and asking them questions and then it's like, how do you limit that? How do you say no to things? And we were telling you and I were just talking about this too. And it was a suggestion that was given to me. It's like, well, if you can't do it, say no, but there are other athletes out there that could, that don't have that platform. So it's like, suggest them. So that's something that I've been trying to do now. It's like, okay, well, if I can't do it, there are other really great athletes that might not have the opportunity to tell their story and they have a great story. So it's like, why not recommend them? Yeah. I, and I really love that approach. I think it's really important to be, um, I guess, building up others as well and taking them along uh, with you as your profile increases. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, for those who have not um, typed Seeker Henry into a Google search, um, we, we, we will go over just sort of, I guess, your story briefly. But like we mm-hmm. talked about at the very start, we really want to try and find different angles and different things to talk about. And I really want to find out who Seeker Henry is, not just the triathlete um, on a mission to become a pro triathlete. Uh, but I guess I kind of want to start with wanted to start with at what point did you decide that you wanted to chase uh, the the dream of becoming a professional triathlete? And then at what point did you recognize that you were building this platform? Um, because you were trying to become the first um, African American uh, female tri- uh, pro triathlete. At what point did that sort of trigger for you that that was part of the overall goal? Yeah. So I've always been really driven, um, especially in athletics. As soon as I try something, I immediately, <laughs> when I finish, I'm like, oh, I'm never doing that again. But then, of course, the next day, I'm like, I think I could go faster. I think I could do better. Yeah. I think I can place higher. So, you know, you, you start registering for things. And before you know it, it's like you go from saying, I'll never do a full Ironman to all of a sudden, you know, you're doing an Ironman. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's uh, so just a little bit of background on myself. I swam all four years of high school for my my high school team and then after that I was a collegiate high jumper in college which kind of came about randomly me just kind of playing around in gym class my senior year of high school and the track coach uh you know convincing me to come out and try out and just kind of having a natural talent or knack for it, I guess. And I had already gotten to college. I went to Tufts University and I walked on the team, walked onto the team and I did track and field all four years, not distance at all. I didn't even like <laughs> run a mile. I, I just looked at it as a warm up, and that was it. Um, but then after college to stay in shape, I like most people started doing like 
you know, 5Ks and 10Ks. And then before you know it, I signed up for a marathon. And that kind of led me to all this endurance stuff. Um, But in regards to chasing my pro card, that really didn't cross my mind much until I would say 2017, um, mm-hmm. when I had already done a few uh, sprints and Olympics. And in uh, 2016, I did my first half Ironman. And um, it seemed to come a little more natural to me, the longer stuff. I found that the longer the race, the more competitive I was. And um, I decided to hire um, an elite coach, somebody who was already coaching a bunch of pros. I hired Jonathan Karen, or I should say he accepted me because (laughs) he generally generally does not, you know, I I was kind of slow at this point too. So he generally doesn't, but you know, I told him, I'm like, I want you to turn me into this, you know, elite athlete. And when I say pro, I, and uh, this is regarding like getting my pro license. I still work full time. I wouldn't quit my day job. (laughs) I'll never be like, you know, Miranda Carfrey or Chrissy Wellington. Like I can't make a living off the sport. And I really do like having uh, something outside of sport. And for me, that is my job. But um, yeah. Do you you think that might change though? Like Mm. if you see some improvements, do you think your mind might shift? I mean, sorry, I'll rephrase because obviously you have been improving. But yeah. if it gets to a point where, you know, you're you're a pro athlete for a couple of years and, uh, you know, it might come to a, um, a point in the road where you need to, I guess, invest more time um, in being a professional athlete, not just in training but recovery and all of that takes, you know, that's, that's time away from a full-time job. Do you think right. it, that could change? I don't think so. I've never had a dream of being a full-time professional athlete. I need balance in my life. I do well when I'm actually juggling multiple things. I find that when (laughs) I'm just focused on one thing, I become too obsessive about it and it kind of backfires on me. So interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I become too, I could see myself being one if I was a full-time athlete I would just be like breathing, living it day in and day out and I would burn myself out. So, um, and I find that triathlon actually helps me with my day job. Like I train on my lunch break and it's a really nice break from my time at work uh, to kind of clear my head and de-stress and everything. So they both, I think in some ways make me better um, at each, at each one. Um, Right. So no, I, I don't think no matter how, great how many how good I got I don't think I would ever just abandon one fair enough mm-hmm. I sorry I interrupted you me, no no me go right ahead so, no no you keep going okay uh no so um yeah so 2017 was kind of the year where I'm like I'm gonna go all in and um yeah I competed at 70.3 worlds as a age grouper and um at this point also I really became more aware of the lack of diversity in the sport. And um, I actually spoke at the Triathlon Business International Conference. Um, I think somebody you've had on your podcast is Sarah Gross. And uh, she put together a panel um, on diversity. And I spoke in that. And, you know, it just, it really made me um, become more passionate, I guess, about uh, realizing and 
talking about the lack of diversity in the sport. So it went kind of hand in hand with me wanting to be pro. It was like, okay, well, there hasn't been an African-American female pro. Like how cool would that be to say you're the first at something? So it was Mm -hmm. partly like me just wanting to get better, get the most out of myself and compete at the highest level possible. But it was also like, oh, you know, the diversity aspect of it was pretty cool too. Yeah, and I mean, most recently in Kamala, am I pronouncing that right? Kamala Harris's. Harris. Oh, Harris, yes, yeah. the vice president. Yep. Yeah, but I'm saying Kamala, right? Yes. Aren't I? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I hope so. Um, I hope so. <laughs> or maybe I've, I've been have... saying it wrong too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done research and I've looked at like children saying it. I'm like, right, the kids mm-hmm. can get it right. I can get it right. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that she said, and obviously she's not the first person to say this, but uh, she said, yes, I'm the the first vice president, um, black vice president, uh, sorry, black female vice president, but I won't be the last. And mm-hmm. I assume, I feel like that's what I'm sensing from you is that, yep, it'd be great to be the first one, but yep. it doesn't stop there. Am, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've noticed that even in, you know, sports and stuff, it's like, mm. um, I say this often, Dominic Dawes was like my idol when I was little. I was a gymnast, even though I'm five foot 10. Um, I was a gymnast <laughs> and I absolutely idolized Dominic Dawes because you didn't really see any African American women in the sport of gymnastics at that high level at the Olympics holding, um, you know, earning a gold Mm. medal. And now it's just so prevalent, like, you know, Mm. Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles is the face of the sport. So, um, you know, and even with tennis, Serena Williams. So it's sort of like, you know, you have these idols when you're a kid growing up and you want to be like them. And, you know, the sport of triathlon, I guess, doesn't necessarily have that in terms of, um, you know, seeing a female or even male in this case, uh, a lot of people of mm. color in the sport competing at that level. So um, I like the quote I hear uh, sometimes that if you can see it and believe it, you can achieve it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, I could possibly be that for somebody else. And I at first when I was pursuing this whole pro card thing, um, I didn't really realize the magnitude of uh, where it would take me and how many people that it, like kids that it would touch. And, you know, we can talk into this later, but um, it wasn't until I had that awful crash last year where I wasn't even sure I'd be able to come back to the sport. And I received cards in the mail from, you know, little African-American kids (laughs) saying like, you know, I've been following you and uh, please come back. And I want, Mm -hmm. I hope you get your pro card and stuff. So it's like, wow, they've actually been following my journey. That is so cool. That is, uh, that's goosebumps kind of stuff. And I, I feel like uh, that's when you realize that you've, you have a, an effect on those kids, obviously. But also, I wonder if they will ever realize the effect that they had on you. Mm, that's a great point. Nobody's ever said that. That's that, I mean, and they did. That's probably mm. one of the biggest reasons why I didn't quit last year and why I still continue. Um, yeah. Yeah, they they probably had a bigger uh, influence on me than I could ever have on them, and I'm sure they don't know that. Yeah, yeah, I've I've never even thought about that then uh, until just then either. And I mm-hmm. think um, that's why I just think it's so important for people of of all ages to just 
compliment other people. Like tell people that they're doing a good job. Tell them how they make mm-hmm. them feel um, because you just never know the impact you can have, the positive impact you can have on someone else's life. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even yeah. now we see so many female athletes having kids, you know, like <laughs> so mm-hmm. two, three kids and coming back to the sport and excelling and doing really well, uh, you know, even later in their age. And I think that's another thing, women seeing other women do that, like before be like, oh, you know, if I have a kid, I guess that's the end of my career. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we see so many now top athletes having children. It's not changing how they're, if anything, they're improving in their sport. Um, yeah. So yeah, just us having those, I guess, in some ways a role model or just seeing other women doing things that we might not have seen before that has a positive influence on us. Yeah. Hey, I want to go back to um, gymnastics uh, yeah. as a kid. And I, I'm just smiling because I, I remember doing gymnastics when I was a kid and I, I think you and I are pretty much the same height. And um, I remember we had to do some rhythm gymnastics and I just, I couldn't stand it. Um, mm-hmm. I loved doing like the um, the trampoline and the, the vault and all the, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know, let's say more dangerous kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I had to like throw a ball in the air, but be graceful about it, that's when I was like, oh no, we're done. I can throw a ball in the air, but make doing it gracefully. That's not my jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of yeah. gymnastics did you do? Um, I did, I didn't do rhythmic gymnastics the way you're describing it. I did, <laughs> um, I, I don't know what it's called. Artistic maybe, uh, just vault floor beam, but, uh, yeah. it, it was, it got harder, the tall, like I went through growth spurt very yeah. early on. So that of course, and you know, you have to be like at the tallest five, two to be an elite gymnast really. It seems. <laughs> so it wasn't going to work. Um, and, but you, it, it would make sense that you would get into rhythmic gymnastics because that usually is tall slender build. Um, but yeah, no, oh. I, I know what you mean though. I'm not flexible at all. So <laughs> my parents knew not to make me do that. <laughs> I was too busy because it's all in the one gym that you're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. say at school or whatever. And mm-hmm. they'd give me the ball to do some rhythmic, rhythmic gymnastics. And I'd be mm-hmm. wanting to throw it in the basketball hoop. <laughs> yeah. and like, Go to yeah. the corner and do as you're told. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, I just speaking of height and having growth spurts as as kids or teenagers or what have you, I vividly remember because I played every sport under the sun and um, when I played netball, this is before I had a real growth spurt, I vividly remember my coach telling me I was never going to make it as a netballer because I was too short. And that was a game changer for me. Um, I pretty much left the the sport not long after that and had a growth spurt, so she was wrong. Mm. But also, I don't think she fully realised how much of an impact that those words had on me at that point in in time because I pretty much left the sport because of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry? No, you go right ahead. I was just going to say, do you remember, because it sounds like um, just through gymnastics, because you mentioned your height, that maybe, you know, that obviously came up in conversation when you were younger. Um, no, because I, I was never at that level. Maybe if I was trying to be a, you know, an right. elite gymnast that would come up. Um, luckily, my parents, uh, they're amazing. Uh, they've always told me that I can be anything I want. Um, they've always been, even when, 
even when I quit swimming and I tried track my senior year of high school and I came home and I'm like, I'm going to do this in college. I'm going to be a track and field athlete in college. They're just kind of like, okay. <laughs> you know, they weren't like, are you crazy? Um, <laughs> and then even when, you know, I was only a freshman in college, I'm like, I'm going to go to NCAAs. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to become an All-American. They were never like, that's insane or give me a funny look. They always just kind of nodded like they believed me. They believed in me. Um, the same thing when it came to triathlon. I, when I started getting into it and this, I was not making a podium even at local sprints at all. But I told them, I'm like, I want to be a you know, uh, I want to earn my pro card. And they're like, all right, well, when, 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 and where are these races and we'll come out and support you. So I think it's really important to have those people in your life. Um, it's part of, it's one of the reasons why I chose my coach, Jonathan Karen. Um, he might, he didn't tell me he thought I was crazy, but even (laughs) when I contacted him, it's not like I was making, I didn't really start getting on a podium until I started working with him. But, um, yeah, even at these Ironman events, um, when I told him, I'm like, yeah, I want to earn my pro card. He, it's not like he looked at my result and he was like, uh, all right, we need to rein that in. And he was like, okay, well, let's see what, let's work together and see what I can do to get you there. So, um, I'm very selective about the mm-hmm. circle I keep. Like if I find that there's negativity or, you know, somebody like, God forbid, somebody told me I need to lose weight or something, I would be like, screw you. Cause you don't realize people don't realize the power of words that they have, Absolutely. you know, so, Unfortunately, so many, you know, female athletes do develop eating disorders and it could just be because of one slight comment that, you know, a coach Mm. or somebody close to them made. So, yeah, words are powerful. Absolutely. Who do you take after the most, do you think, your mum or dad? Oh, gosh. In some ways, both my dad in terms of always following through like I will just keep going and going at something till I finally achieve it no matter what um so I'm very I would say he's very driven in that way he's very like mechanical like robotic almost and I'm like that um but in terms of like mentally getting through races even when I'm falling apart like that mental strength I would say my from my mom I mean that woman she's just is so strong and you know she balances so many things and she's like the one that holds our crazy family together and stuff so I think the good the best aspects in them I've kind of found in myself so I'm really grateful for that what makes you say that your family's crazy <laughs> they are. Oh my gosh. They're just, we're all a mess when we're together. It's just like, it's just a total mess. I mean, my dad, he's hilarious, but the things that come out of his mouth sometimes, I'm like, did you just say that? That was just so offensive. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, dysfunctional. That's how I would describe us. Totally dysfunctional. Uh, but, but great. But still, but so, yes, exactly. It's a, it's a fun time. Like we go uh, for Christmas every year. We go away somewhere together uh, for a week. We usually stay at a resort or something like that. And it's just, it's so much fun. Like my family, my brother, like we're just really connected and they're my best friends. Oh, that's so nice. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What does what does your brother do? And sorry, is he older or younger? No, he's younger. Uh, there's actually quite a big age gap between us. And oh, okay. um, yeah, so for sports, he's a naturally gifted swimmer, <laughs> unlike right. me. Um, but <laughs> he, he's really into mixed martial arts. Uh, he does jujitsu, karate, boxing, um, stuff like that. So right now with COVID, he's just doing, um, he does lessons. He does private lessons with people 
Yeah, right. And what does um, what does he think about your pursuits uh, to be a pro triathlete? Oh, he thinks it's awesome. He's really into sports. He absolutely loves sports, and he's super supportive as well. Um, I usually so I'll call my dad before a race, like the week before, and I'm freaking out, and he's like, "Oh Lord, he doesn't want to hear it." <laughs> and but then I'll call my brother, and he just gives such sound advice, and um, he's really encouraging. He's that kid, like at the race. Uh, when I finish a race, I'll go on Instagram or something and I have like 30 followers and I'm like, what is this about? And it's because he's talked to so many people about my story and he's like, you got to follow Aww. my sister. You got to support my sister. So <laughs> I should thank him for like 50% of, uh, you know, any followers <laughs> I have. It's because my brother's running around the courses, like talking to everybody. <laughs> he can become your new social media manager when you get too big and you start saying no more he can just he can jump on board <laughs> exactly exactly please excuse this very brief interruption if you enjoy uh, the content that wits up produces across its many different platforms the powerful narratives that we share and the vision that we've got to change the media landscape for women in sport, please consider becoming a WitsUp member. You can do it for as little as five US dollars a month. All you need to do is head to patreon.com slash WitsUp or simply click the link in the show notes of this episode. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks very much. Back to the episode. Going back to the pursuit of becoming pro, um, and obviously, well, not obviously, for those of you who don't know, you had a pretty uh, horrible crash. Uh, was it April last year? Yes, Is that's that right? correct. Yep. Um, and as you said earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, you almost thought about quitting, but um, especially the kids sending you messages uh, gave you that drive to get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, you started to get back onto your way and then COVID hit. So just another barrier to try and get your pro card. How are yeah. you staying how are you staying focused? I mean, it's unreal. I'm like, really? As if last year wasn't bad enough. Although yeah. in some ways for me personally, this year is a little easier. Last year I was just so messed up. I wasn't sure if I'd ever even be able to do it again. Um, and I wasn't sure how long it was gonna take to recover and heal and um, everything was just so uncertain and everybody was racing. So I was kind of just sitting at home nursing on my wounds, like watching people PR and post, you know, their workouts and stuff like that. And I couldn't do anything right now. We're all in the same boat, you know, we're all yeah. kind of just waiting to see what happens. So I don't feel so isolated. Um, other than that, I just, I try to do like I, I always have to have something on my calendar to work towards. Um, so for me, a couple weeks ago, I, I've never done an ultra marathon. So I told my coach I had originally registered for 50K. Um, it was supposed to happen locally on a trail, but and it looked like it was going to happen. But then with COVID restrictions, I ended up canceling it. So my coach was like, well, you still want to do it? I'm like, yeah. So one of my friends, he's, he's training for 100K. He's like, OK, I'll pace you through it. So I had that goal to look you know to kind of focus on so I had been training for 50k for a while um, and we did end up racing it it 
what's an interesting experience? It took me longer to recover from that 50K than it did in Ironman. I mean, my body oh, wow. was just so, oh yeah, my body was so messed up. And I, we didn't do it on a trail. We did it on the sidewalk, like on the pavement. So we supported ourselves. We used my driveway as an aid station. So we were only able to pick up bottles every 10 miles. And it was really tough, but, um, but I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised and I really did train for it. Um, we had went through the marathon in like 309 and we actually negative split and we finished around like 345. So yeah, it was a good day for me. Like I, I don't, I love being in an actual race environment, but I don't necessarily need a race. Um, like, you know, the support, like as long as I have something on my calendar and it's like, okay, on this day I am doing this and I'm going to push myself as long as I have that to kind of focus on that gets me through. So that's what I've been doing. Just, you know, kind of self-supported stuff. I love that. And that's, that's a pretty tidy, uh, 309 marathon. Um, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Well, nice. I, uh, although my coach thought he told me go through in 305 and I was like, I got to mile 17 and I'm like, Oh my God, I might end up having to walk. Like this is not happening. I mean, it <laughs> felt, it's so different running on your own. I mean, I was pacing off my friend who's way faster than me, but it's so different running on your own versus being in an actual race with spectators and, hmm. you know, having aid stations every two miles and being able to get fresh water and, you know, gel and like all that stuff. Um, and like having mile markers versus just kind of running <laughs> around my neighborhood and aimlessly. It's, it makes you appreciate being in an actual race environment. Yeah. So would you say you are more in, intrin- intrinsically driven? So it's not the competition of others that pushes you, mm-hmm. it's um, you yourself? Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. Yep, for sure. And do you feel like you've always been that way, like through through school, high school, uh, college? That's always been your your motiva- motivator. Yeah, I'd say it's innate, definitely. Um, I think it's also why I've probably gravitated towards um, individual sports instead of team sports. I've actually, I don't know if I've ever, I mean, granted I was on a team in college and stuff like that, but the sport itself, it's not, you know, like soccer or, you know, softball or something like that. So it's just me against myself, pushing myself as hard as I possibly can. So yeah, I would say that, um, I've always been like that. I've always been that way. Um, I've always just, uh, not, I never want to just rely on someone else. Like I look at certain things and it's like, oh my gosh, like a basketball game, for instance, like you have 10 seconds left and you have, you have to pass the ball to somebody else and then rely on them to make the shot. Like you're totally out. You're not, it has nothing to do with you. So I I don't know if I could just give away that control. I like to have control over (laughs) over it. (laughs) So maybe it's not even intrinsically driven. It's like just being a control freak. (laughs) now we're getting to the juicy stuff now we're really finding out what makes you tick (laughs) yeah (laughs) but I I find and I don't know if you find this but I do find that so many triathletes especially when you're doing half irons Ironmans like you're you're self-motivated you have to be yeah yeah I think you do um and not just on race day, it's it's all the hours in training, right, leading mm-hmm. up to race day. Um, mm-hmm. That's when you really have to rely on that self-motivation to get you out the door. Because, um, yes, obviously you need to race and you need to put your best foot forward on race day, but race day doesn't happen if you haven't put in all of those hours beforehand. Right, yep. 
Yeah, yeah. I often find that people who aren't in the sport, they ask me, they're like, oh, you know, at work, I, I train on my lunch breaks, so I'll go out and they're like, and it's the middle of summer and it's like 100 degrees outside. And they're like, how are you going out there running eight, 10 miles right now? Like they, they can't really relate to that. But then, you know, you have your friends that are actually in the sport and you look at their Strava and they're like, oh, damn, they put in more miles than me. You know, like yeah. they, they get it. So actually, one of the things I love about telling people I'm a triathlete is watching their jaw drop when you tell them the stupid thing that you did that day, which is not stupid to us, right? (laughs) Right, right. You know, the typical response. And you would get this in, I I imagine, in your um, work environment, if they ask you what you did on the weekend and you might reply Mm -hmm. with, oh, I rode 200 miles and ran 30 (laughs) miles, whatever it might be. Right. And they're like, I wouldn't even drive that far. I know. Oh, they look at you. Yeah. I mean, I initially thought it was crazy too I remember when I was doing my first half Ironman it was Ironman 70.3 Eagle Man and I drove from my house to Cambridge and I remember looking at the GPS and it said I had 56 miles to go and as I'm driving I'm like oh my god that's the distance I have to bike this is taking forever (laughs) (laughs) and now it seems like nothing you know you you just go you go out and you ride 80 miles now so yeah, it's so true, and it's it's all of those little things to um to the civilians out there, so the, the non triathletes, you know, things like you put your bike in the back of the car, and the bike costs more money than your car, oh, and exactly. it just blows their mind. <laughs> yep, I know. Yep, <laughs> or oh, even God. how much the race costs. <laughs> oh my goodness, how much the race costs? How much the bike costs? Mm-hmm. Um. How, why do you buy a bike without pedals? Don't you need a pedals on your bike <laughs> to ride a bike? It's, right. They're all very, very good questions. And sometimes I, you know, I think, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> right. I know. But we've become so just, uh, I don't know, like used to it that it doesn't seem so strange. Yeah. It's totally normal to us until you talk to somebody who's not in this sport and you're like, yeah, I guess this yeah. isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to be a uh, personal trainer and one of my clients wanted to get into triathlon. And I was like, well, you know, obviously I can help you with that. And he said, oh, but I need your help with the bike. Um, can you teach me how to ride? I was like, sure, we can, we can go for a ride and I can help you out with a bit of technique and get you fitter. And he said to me, no, 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 I've not ridden a bike since I was a kid. I do not know how to ride a bike. And I, for the life of me, could not figure out the steps to help him ride a bike because it's just something that you just you just push and you go. Right. And I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to break it down. And I was like, wow, that's it's just like walking or running for me, you know, riding right. a bike. And, right. But there'd be so many people out there that that would be – uh, one of the biggest barriers for them. They just, they mm-hmm. literally cannot ride a bike. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah, I um, received a message on, I think it was Instagram, and a guy said, uh, um, I want to get into triathlon, but I don't know where to start. And I'm like, oh God, like, I don't even know how to answer that question. You know, yeah. I'm so used to, you know, people who are kind of in this sport already asking like, oh, uh, which coach, you know, is there a coach that you could suggest mm. or, you know, something like that or equipment question, but somebody who's just like, I, I want to get started and they don't have a background in it at all. 
So it's not like, you know, some of my friends, they have, you know, they can swim, uh, they can run or whatever. So I'm like, okay, just find a local sprint and, you know, just do, just go online and follow these workouts. So with him, he just like had no idea whatsoever. I kind of didn't even know what to say. It's so true. You just get so involved. It just becomes natural. Breaking Mm -hmm. it down becomes harder and harder. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, going back to being uh, a student, how much of you as an athlete were you as a student, as a student, i.e. Um, were you as driven as you were in your studies as you were in your sporting pursuits? Oh, yeah, they were totally uh, interconnected. Um, I was a type before uh, before an exam, I would get so nervous. I would actually in college puke sometimes. I would get so nervous really? before a test. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought, you know, I'd be like... <laughs> dry heaving and like about to pass out because I'd want to do well so bad. Or I remember one time I overslept and I missed a class and I was hysterically (gasps) crying to my roommate because I'm like, what if they said something important and it's going to be on the exam and I missed it and then I'm going to fail the exam and then um, my GPA is going to suck and I'm going to get kicked out of school. Like my mind was just crazy. And I was the same way with track and field. I would get so nervous before you know a race or you know jumping or whatever i'd be like obsessing about it all week wanting to do really well so how i was with sports was exactly how i was with my academics and what were your favorite subjects um none (laughs) (laughs) well i was an economics major so i took a lot of math courses, statistics courses and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe macroeconomic, intro to macroeconomics. After I took that, I was like, all right, yeah, I want this to be my major. It's pretty cool. You can apply this what, to everything. So what did you yeah. say? Internal macro. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you call it? Oh, macroeconomics. So, so there's, oh, oh, intro, yeah. like introduction. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you said in internal macro. something I made up no intro (laughs) introduction and macroeconomics but yeah now college just I felt stressed out for four years really yeah yeah how did you do stress not well it's taken (laughs) me it's taken me years um you know, even now I find I still get nervous before races. I obsess, you know, the week before, like, oh, what if I fail? What if I don't, you know, reach my goal? Um, and it's even with work. Like if I have a big presentation coming up, I'm like, what if somebody asks me a question and I don't have the answer? Or, you know, what if I mess up on this part of that? I don't rem- I leave something out that's really important. So I guess in some ways I haven't changed that much, but I've learned to manage it better because of so many life experiences. You know, it's like the older you get, the more things you've been through and the things that you used to obsess about when you were younger that seemed like such a big deal aren't quite as big of a deal now. Yeah, right. And like you say, the sporting world kind of intersects with the intellectual working, studying mm-hmm. world as well. And you can, I guess you can take lessons from both and mm-hmm. – yeah, intertwine them. Mm-hmm, exactly. I think yeah. I, I like it when I hear of people still getting nervous before a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key is what you just said was how you manage it is the important part of it. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like nerves sort of suggest that you, you that you care about it, you oh, know? 
My dad always says that whenever I tell him every, before every race, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Why am I so nervous? And for the longest I looked at it as such a negative thing. And it can be when it's so overwhelming that it has a negative effect mm-hmm. on the outcome. Um, but I would say to him, I'm so nervous. And he was like, well, you know, I get nervous too. And that's just because you care. That's all it is. It's a sign that you care. So you just have yeah. to like learn to control it and not look at it, not look at it as such a negative thing. When I freak out so much that I'm like, uh, oh my God, why am I like this? This is awful. You know, stuff like that. It's like really putting a negative spin on it and it, it mm. drains me versus, okay, I have those pre-race jitters. This is just my body getting ready for this race. It's letting me know that I care and then I'm ready and I'm set. So it's like looking at it in a positive light. Absolutely. And it sounds like uh, your dad and probably your mum as well are the people who who ground you in those sort of um, moments in time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, my, mom, my mom's more, you know, she gets kind of serious with me like, well, are you ready or, or have you tapered oh. enough? You know, she'll sometimes she'll make things a little worse. My dad, on the <laughs> other hand, he's hilarious. I mean, so I'm supposed to be racing an actual in-person marathon next weekend, although I just heard that there's a chance it might get canceled. I hope not. But I've been freaking out all week. I reached out to my dad. I'm like, you know, I'm nervous. And why aren't you saying anything? I mean, he was straight up like, because we go through this same bullshit every single time you do a race. He's like, I'm tired of it. What more can I possibly say to you? But it made me laugh because it's true. He he reminded me that I go through this every time it's not new. And I'm like, okay, he's right. And he's like, and it always turns out fine. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, that's true too. So he's good at putting things, finding a funny way to put things in perspective. I love it. He needs to do just a a little recording so that he he knows when that phone call is coming about a week out and he can just... Oh, oh, he does. He tells me, uh, you know, I hear him even on the background, I'll be talking to my mom and she's like, oh, your daughter wants to speak to you. And he's like, oh Lord, I know what this is about. And I can hear him saying it. I'm like, I heard you. I heard that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So we go to dad before the big events uh, yes. and then maybe mom after. Yes. For the my mom, and, my mom and I celebrate. Yep. We always drink a bottle of wine. <laughs> Oh, what kind of wine are you into? Uh, usually I let my mom pick it because she usually picks, picks an expensive one. Uh, so usually it's a cab. It's usually a cab or like a red blend. And um, nice. yeah, whenever they come to the races, because, you know, I try to restrict myself from drinking and stuff when I have a big race coming up. So, of course, you know, like that's something that I actually look forward to. Like before, even when I'm on the starting line, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm kind of dreading this. And it's like, well, at least I can drink wine after I have that. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Swings and roundabouts. Got to get through things uh, to uh, reap the benefits and the rewards afterwards. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Uh, What do your parents do? Um, so my mom, she's been with AT&T. She's an account, um, account exec. Hopefully I said that right. So she, she manages accounts and, um, she has a background in finance. So she was in mergers and acquisitions for years. And then my dad, uh, he's a IT guy, tech guy, and he's just a con he's a contractor. So he works from contract to contract. Ah, okay. So So, so nothing, nothing interesting. (laughs) It's so funny. I um, when people say um, you know, works in finance or engineering or sometimes, and no offense to a degree, economics. I go, oh, yep. Don't fully understand what you do, 
But right, right. you smile and nod. Yeah, exactly. Like- and then you go read their LinkedIn page after and you're like, oh, yes. okay, now I understand. <laughs> when people so text me, when people text me, they're like, what do you do for a living? I just copy the link to my LinkedIn page. I'm like, dude, I can't even really just describe it right now. Just re- read my, my resume on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's so true because it's not like I'm a chef or I'm a pilot or right, right. I'm, I'm a pro triathlete. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, after this, I'll go and check out the LinkedIn page to know exactly what you do um, in terms of the economics space. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this race that's coming up next weekend, talk me through what's happening there yeah, if it goes ahead. Yeah, okay. So I've been, so after the 50K, um, I was kind of like, well, what's next? I need something else on my race calendar. So I really, okay, my PR in a marathon is three hours and six seconds. <laughs> so I did read that. Yeah. And there's question marks and they, uh, uh, I I saw it on your bio. You're like, yeah, oh, so, so yeah, so frustrating. So my goal heading into that race was to break three hours and I missed it by so technically seven seconds. So um for me with triathlon, because the run is my strongest discipline of the three, my coach has me mostly focus on swimming and biking. So I don't really ever do road races. I haven't done a marathon in years. Um, but now with, you know, with COVID and triathlons getting canceled and stuff, this seemed like the opportunity, like the best opportunity mm. to try to get a marathon in. And there just happened to be a really competitive one, a small one, uh, not too far, about like 45 hour, hour from where I live. So uh, it was kind of a quick turnaround between the 50k that I did in this marathon Mm -hmm. I wish it was a little more stretched out but kind of is what it is so um the goal is definitely to try to break three hours um there will be a bunch of fast women so hopefully I'll have a group to run with and Mm -hmm. yeah unfortunately I just saw in the news that they're trying to um COVID is I guess getting worse around here and the governor just put um some orders out that events had to be less than 25 people so i'm not sure oh, if that's wow. gonna yeah so one from 250 which was the i think 220 was a cutoff for the race but it um went from you're allowed to have up to 250 outdoor outdoors now it's down to 25 so we'll see i'm praying that i can still run it because i'm like fully tapering for it right now yeah right and how do you how do you go with tapering um Oh gosh, I uh, see. This is why I hire a coach. I do not put together plans at all. Um, so usually about two weeks out, we start cutting back. So uh, usually I train twice a day, almost every day. Um, but right now with tapering, I'm only training once a day, every day. Um, and the intensity, so the volume cuts down, intensity kind of picks up. So I'm doing a little bit of speed stuff right now. And then next week it'll be, I guess, just even less volume. Yeah. And mentally, how do you cope with that? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I look ah, forward okay. to the taper. I, well, it depends. Like sometimes I start getting, I have too much time on my hands. Like I found this week, I've been training at lunch and then I would usually train again after work. But like after I'm done working, I'm like, well, now what do I do with my time? <laughs> like yeah. I don't have to get on a bike for an hour and a half. So I have all this extra time. So I just try to do things that I would struggle to get done during the week, Uh, you know, go out, run errands, uh, you know, load up on groceries, stuff like that. So it's really just the idle time that I struggle with, but mentally I feel great during the taper. 
you get you get get a chance to record podcasts with yes, people. Yes, exactly. Are- yeah, I'm like I can actually do something Friday. You know, Friday after I get off work, I can record with you instead of trying <laughs> to like find. It's like, well, can I find an hour at all during this week to do something? But you know, now with the taper, yeah. I can. Yeah, I want. Um, can we go back to? I just want to. Um, I made I made a note just about the the kids who were messaging you after your uh, bike crash and how they were. Probably a bit of a turning point for you uh, to get back into the sport um, mm-hmm. or ease, ease back into the sport. And I know you've done a lot of work with with kids and speaking to kids. Well, speaking to adults, you've done a lot of speaking gigs, let's mm-hmm. face it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like or do you feel like the kids are the ones that really give back the energy that you need uh, uh, in terms of, I guess, this platform that you've created? Oh, I love it. It's so rewarding. Um, I was just having this conversation with my boyfriend, actually, uh, because somebody reached out to him and they're like, oh, do you think she could, you know, come and speak to this group of adults pretty much? And, you know, he told them, he's like, "Eh, that's not really what she's passionate about. She likes to talk to kids. Mm. And it's like, that is so true. That's really what, what I love. I mean, they're just so innocent and you're introducing something new to them and you could possibly, you know, like have this great positive influence on them. Um, you know, with adults, like we're just more set in our ways. Um, <laughs> we're, we're looking to get something specific out of a speech that we're listening to, right? Like we're, we're waiting for somebody to say something that connects directly to us with kids. It's just, they're just kind of like in awe of it all. And, you know, especially the kids that I've spoken to, they've never, they don't even, they didn't know what a triathlon was. They definitely didn't know what an Ironman was. And, you know, like doing it in person too was so rewarding. Like they'd never Mm. seen a wetsuit before. And, you know, I got to tell them about the importance of wearing a helmet for my crash and you know just like these little things and how important it is to be in you know organized sports and stuff like that and um you know how far I can take you and things so yeah I do I find it a lot more rewarding and I feel like I get more out of it than they do that's I've never thought about it like that adults generally generally will have a bias or an expectation Mm -hmm. whereas kids kids don't everything is kind of new information um, and they can literally take anything from what you're talking to them about, whether it be something really practical, like you said, the helmet, mm-hmm. um, you know, or some something that is inspiring or motivating. I love that. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it quite like that. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I'm happy that I just showed a new perspective of it. Yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot with with my daughter and I think I think it's fascinating to – uh, to, to live a life um, as a child and every experience is pretty much new. I, I just think that's such a wonderful thing um, mm-hmm. for a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, it's very rare as an adult that you get those experiences that um, a child gets, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're jumping out of an airplane, you know, right. something like that. <laughs> right. You know, but for example, we just went and got coffee, my daughter and I, uh, a couple of hours ago and we saw three snails along the way and she's never stop to look at what a snail does and she was Mm -hmm. fascinated by it for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and I was like imagine being that fascinated by this thing that's doing nothing it's Mm -hmm. moving very very slow (laughs) 
Yeah, I did a race. I went to the Jersey Shore with my I met my family. So they live out in New Jersey. I live in Virginia, but uh, I was doing a race and we were staying at a hotel together. And after the race, I'd worn a wetsuit and I didn't have like a private balcony. So I had to put the way the, the doors like I put it pretty much the wetsuit outside of the hotel room and I just kind of hung it over the bars. So my dad looks outside and he's like, Sika, there's a kid touching your wetsuit. So I go outside of this girl, she's probably like five or six. And, you know, she's like, uh, what's that? And I said, it's a wetsuit. And she, and I was like, I swim in it. And she was like, oh, when you put it on, do you turn into a mermaid? So oh, like she understood that. I don't, you know what? I didn't even say I swim in it. I said it was a wetsuit. I uh, think I did. I said, maybe I wore it in the water, but the fact that she connected it to, you know, like being a mer- mermaid and it helping you swim faster and that you put it on. I'm like, oh my God, like, I, you know, I, I, their, their minds, the way they think it's like, it, we would never think the way they think. And it was just so awesome and you know I explained to her what it was and what it does so <laughs> yeah oh, I love that's so cute and yeah. like you say to and to reiterate everything that you I guess talk about um on the daily but in this podcast as well is that you know you you have a platform I have a platform and we get to you know, inspire and showcase these stories to kids who, and as corny as this sounds, but who are the future and they're the ones who we can have an impact on because, you know, they're not, they're not set in their ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and in, when I spoke at the elementary schools, um, you know, I put together slides to talk, you know, to, to show them what I'm talking about so that they understand it. Cause they don't necessarily get like, Oh, I rode a time trial bike. You know, you want to like show them a picture of you on the bike. But, um, when it came to the crash, I, the, the guy, um, the, who's in the school system out there that set everything up. I asked him, I was like, well, should I take the pictures, actual crash photos of me out? And he was like, Oh no, I think you should definitely leave those. in." he's like, you'd be surprised that the, cause these were schools in the inner cities. And he's like, you'd be surprised at things that they've gone, gone through. Like you've gone through a lot with your crash, but believe me, they have gone through so much worse. You know, like they've lost parents to violence, stuff like that. So he's like, I would definitely show the pictures. And when I did wow. show the pictures, I mean, they didn't even, I mean, they gasped, but they thought it was really cool. And they wanted to know how long it took me to recover. That was one of the main questions they asked. They're like, well, how long did it take you to heal from that? So wow. they were able to somehow identify with my accident and the crash and the things that I went through and my injuries, um, you know, to my face and everything else. So yeah, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Hey, we, we're going to start wrapping it up because I'm very aware that it's a Friday evening over there and you probably want to get your feet up and relax. Yeah. Um, but I've just got a couple more questions that we'll fire through if that's okay. Yes, definitely. Go right ahead. Uh, okay. So I was looking on your website before and it your name means money or gold. Mm-hmm. Um I, for one, have no idea what my name means, uh, but I love that you know what your name means. But mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? Uh, well, it's ironic. I'm like, gold. I'm like, oh, great. No pressure, right? Thanks, yeah, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh, what does it mean? So my family, my parents, they wanted a unique name and uh, they wanted something African. So they found it in a book. I think my mom bought a book and they were going through it and they – 
I guess it just had a ring to it. They picked out a few names um, and they waited until I was born. And when I came out, my dad looked at me and he's just like, Sika, <laughs> and it stuck. And I think maybe when yeah. I was really little, I was kind of like, oh, why why wasn't my name just Sarah or something? Like, why do I have to have such a <laughs> weird name? But now that I'm older and, you know, with the triathlon space and everything, I'm actually really grateful that I have a unique name. So, sorry, I do want to elaborate on this because so when you're younger, what, what, why did your name stand out? Um, and in quotation marks, it, why wasn't it a normal name like Sarah? Um, <clears throat> it was just uncommon. I mean, I've never met another Sika and I think my parents wanted me to have a name that, uh, was just unique or different. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I love that the perspective changes, um, you know, when you're younger, uh, you, you feel like you you want to fit in, but as you mm-hmm. as you get older, uh, you realize the strength in mm-hmm. uh, standing out and being being different. Mm-hmm. Which even, is even with, yeah, even with height, I, I don't know if you went through this, but I remember yeah. when I was younger, you know, fifteen years old or sixteen, and I'm like five ten. I'm like, oh my god, why do I have to be so tall? Why do I have to be taller than all the girls? I just want to be short and little and petite. And now that I'm older, you know, I'm like, I love being tall personally. <laughs> Um, I definitely know other people who felt like that. There's definitely never been a moment in my life where I've wanted to be petite. Uh, mm. I just, or graceful or mm-hmm. anything like that, just mm-hmm. never was in my DNA and I was I was okay with that because being tall and strong meant that I could beat the boys in so many different mm-hmm. things. And growing, mm-hmm. growing up with two brothers, that was, that was a key mm. motivator for me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I can understand, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got a, I've got an interesting. This has fast become one of my favorite questions uh, to wrap up an interview with. Um, when you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to your mind, and why? Oh gosh, I don't know. Oh, that's a hard one. I, it's hard. Really, yeah, that sure is. I don't know. I mean, I've known a few. <sighs> I feel like we're, we never feel like we've hit that pinnacle of success. So there's so many, even like some of my friends, like I look at one of my girlfriends and she's accomplished so many things that she's wanted to. One of my, She's my roommate in college. And for her, like she has a full-time corporate job and then she wanted to, she got married, her and her husband wanted kids, but she really wanted to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials. And I want to say her PR was only like 255. So she needed to like run a two low 240s and she worked so hard at it. And then she accomplished it and then she you know has her kids and she just seems like a really you know like she's kind of uh, just established where she wanted to be in her life so um yeah I guess I kind of look at her as like like I want to be you when I grow up <laughs> but um yeah other than that no I don't look at anybody as just because you never know what's going on behind closed doors I used to obsess a little too much about that and look at other people and even now with social media like oh why like they look like I have such a perfect life and why don't I have that and you know relationships and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but you don't but whenever I talk to her and we have such an open honest relationship she's just genuinely happy and she's never just settled like I remember her parents even when she was married they're like when are you gonna have kids and she's like you know what not now like I want to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials so the fact that she even just kind of put that to the side and like 
like accomplish the things that she wanted to before starting a family. I thought that was so cool. See, I love that answer. And when I was asked the question, I um, the first person that came to mind was one of my best mates who had had a rough golder in terms of business and then launched a business um, and then within, you know, six months was doing really, really well. And after my after someone asked me that question, I I let him know that I gave his name as a as an answer. And he was blown away because he mm-hmm. didn't see what he'd been doing as success. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, success comes in so many different forms. And mm-hmm. You know, and we even touched on this throughout the episode as well. I think it's important to tell people when you think they're doing a good job or or, or whatever, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sometimes we can get caught up with always raising the bar or always wanting more and not actually living in the moment and appreciating what we have actually achieved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and not just um, associating success with just you know money or you know yeah. like pictures of somebody traveling all over the world or something like that (laughs) but yeah just like somebody that you're really close to that just you have an open relationship with and they you see the ups and downs and all the things that they've gone through but that they found that like peace and that happiness uh just from you know just their family so that's really inspiring to me I love it. Okay, last question, and I'm throwing this back to you because at the start of this episode, um, I sort of said, are you sick of telling the same story? Um, (laughs) So what question would you like to be asked in an interview that you've not been asked before? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) hmm, Something that's not really asked. I guess I never get asked what will I do after I get my – pro card or like when I think people assume that I'll just like keep going and going but there's so many other things that I want to keep doing like I actually see myself being involved in the sport in other ways outside of being an athlete uh to be honest with you if I do get my pro card I don't know how many more years I would put into racing I would want to put my energy into like helping more grassroots efforts, especially with diversity and stuff. Um, I really, really enjoy talking to kids. I'd love to do that more often. So yeah, I never really get asked about the post try stuff. It's like all just kind of now and immediate. So interesting. So 10 years down the track, where do you see yourself? Um, Hopefully still with my company. I love working there. I love working the team that I'm on. Um, Hopefully still really active, probably not doing half Ironmans and stuff 10 (laughs) years from now, but I think I'll always be a runner. I'd still love to keep doing some marathons. And then, yeah, just finding a way to still be in the sport and giving back somehow. Um, Connecting young athletes to you know, companies like for me, uh, the only reason why I've gotten as far as I can, I have is because of so many people that have given back or um, have connected me to, you know, big companies that have, you know, helped me with products and stuff like that. Because this sport is just so expensive. And it is for everybody, not just people of color. But I think that there are so many barriers for people of color um, that, I was able to kind of overcome those barriers because of the help that I received. So somehow paying that forward, figuring out a way to maybe like connect athletes to mentors and, and, and big corporate, um, uh, I guess big corporate like entities in the sport. I love it. 
Well, let's see how we can all work together and help help uh, you achieve that as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Speaking, you're amazing. Um, good luck with hopefully the race that goes ahead next weekend. Yes, I'm knocking on wood. Yes, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm actually racing a marathon next week. And then, of course, I saw the message today. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's the thing with this COVID across the globe is that it can change daily, which which makes it hard to plan sometimes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess like you say, you've just got to, you know, set yourself a goal and just keep going for it until you're told otherwise. Yep, exactly. Yep. Well, thank you so much. You enjoy your Friday afternoon. I hope uh, I asked some questions that haven't been asked before and you didn't have to keep reiterating the same story. Mm -hmm. Um, But for anyone out there who uh, still wants to find out a little bit more about you, where's the best place um, to to look? Should they be jumping on your website? I I mean, personally, I think just just throw Seeker Henry in a Google search. (laughs) It'll come up with a mountain of articles and podcasts. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty active on social media, especially Instagram. I, I post a lot, especially in the stories. Um, any, like this one, for instance, I'll be putting this link up um, in my bio. So I would say Instagram, I always respond to messages on there. Um, and then I do, I have a website. So if you do want to contact me directly, there's a contact page. So it's sikahenry.com, S-I-K-A-H-E-N-R-Y.com. Um, yeah. Other than that, like you said, if you do Google me, luckily I've been given a lot of great platforms um, and I've written articles. I recently wrote for Bicycling Mag. So, yeah, Mm. so there are some great links there. Fantastic. Thank you so very much. Yep. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-deep in awesomeness. (laughs) 